1: And now, chapter 16, from H. Ryder Haggard's King Solomon's Mines, The Place of Death. It was already dark on the third day after the scene described in the previous chapter, when we camped in some huts at the foot of the three witches, as the Triangle of Mountains were called to which Solomon's great road ran. Our party consisted of three selves and Fulata, who waited on us, especially on good, Infidus, Gagool, who was borne along in a litter, inside which he could be heard muttering and cursing all day long, and a party of guards and attendants. The mountains, or rather the three peaks of the mountains, for the whole mass evidently consisted of a solitary upheaval, were, as I have said, in the form of a triangle, of which the base was towards us, one peak being on our right, one on our left, and one straight in front of us. "'Never shall I forget the sight afforded by those three towering peaks "'in the early sunlight of the following morning. "'High, high above us, up into the blue air, "'soared their twisted snow-wreaths. "'Beneath the snow the peaks were purple with heaths, "'and so were the wild moors that ran up the slopes toward them. "'Straight before us the white ribbon of Solomon's great road "'stretched away uphill to the foot of the center peak.' "'about five miles from us, and there stopped. "'It was its terminus. "'I'd better leave the feelings of intense excitement "'with which we set out on our march that morning "'to the imagination of those who read this history. "'At last we were drawing near to the wonderful mines "'that had been the cause of the miserable death "'of the old Portuguese Dom, three centuries ago, "'of my poor friend, his ill-star descendant, "'and also, as we feared, of George Curtis, Sir Henry's brother. "'Were we destined, after all that we had gone through, to fare any better? "'Evil befell them. "'As that old fiend Gagool said, would it also befall us? "'Somehow, as we were marching up that last stretch of beautiful road, "'I could not help feeling a little superstitious about the matter, "'and so I think did good, and Sir Henry.' For an hour and a half or more we tramped on up the heather-fringed road, going so fast in our excitement that the bearers with Gagool's hammock could scarcely keep pace with us, and its occupant piped out to us to stop. "'Go more slowly, white men,' she said, projecting her hideous shriveled countenance between the curtains and fixing her gleaming eyes upon us. Why will ye run to meet the evil that shall befall ye, ye seekers after treasure? And she laughed that horrible laugh, which always sent a cold shiver down my back, and which for a while quite took the enthusiasm out of us. However, on we went, till we saw before us, and between ourselves and the peak, a vast circular hole with sloping sides, three hundred feet or more in depth, and quite half a mile round. "'Can't you guess what this is?' I said to Sir Henry and Good, who were staring in astonishment down into the awful pit before us. They shook their heads. "'Then it is clear that you have never seen the diamond mines at Kimberley. You may depend on it that this is Solomon's diamond mine. Look there,' I said pointing to the stiff blue clay which was yet to be seen among the grass and bushes which clothed the sides of the pit. The formation is the same. I'll be bound that if we went down there we should find pipes of soapy, breciated rock. Look, too, and I pointed to a series of worn, flat slabs of rock which were placed on a gentle slope below the level of a watercourse which had in some past age been cut out of the solid rock. If those are not tables once used to wash the stuff, I'm a Dutchman. At the edge of this vast hole, which was the pit marked on the old Dom's map, the great road branched into two and circumvented it. In many places, this circumventing road was built entirely of vast blocks of stone, apparently with the object of supporting the edges of the pit and preventing falls of reef. Along this road we pressed, driven by curiosity to see what the three towering objects were which we could discern from the hither side of the Great Hole. As we got nearer, we perceived that they were colossi of some sort or another, and rightly conjectured that these were the three silent ones that were held in such awe by the Kukuwana people. But it was not until we got quite close that we recognized the full majesty of these silent ones. There, upon huge pedestals of dark rock, sculptured in unknown characters, twenty paces between each, and looking down the road which crossed some sixty miles of plain to Lou, were three colossal seated forms, two males and one female, each measuring about twenty feet from the crown of the head to the pedestal. The female form was of great though severe beauty, but unfortunately the features were injured by centuries of exposure to the weather rising from each side of her head were the points of a crescent. The two male colossi were draped, and presented a terrifying cast of features, especially the one to our right, which had the face of a devil. That to our left was serene in countenance, but the calm upon it was dreadful. It was the calm of inhuman cruelty, the cruelty, Sir Henry remarked, that the ancients attributed to beings potent for good, who could yet watch the sufferings of humanity, if not with rejoicing, at least without suffering themselves. The three formed a most awe-inspiring trinity as they sat there in their solitude and gazed out across the plain forever. Contemplating these silent ones, as the Kukuanas called them, an intense curiosity again seized us to know whose were the hands that had shaped them? Who was it that had dug the pit and made the road? While I was gazing and wondering, it suddenly occurred to me... "'being familiar with the Old Testament, "'that Solomon went astray after strange gods, "'the names of three of whom I remembered. "'Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, "'and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon. "'And I suggested to my companions "'that the three figures before us "'might represent these false divinities.' "Hm," said Sir Henry, who was a scholar having taken a high degree in classics at college. There may be something in that. Ashtoreth of the Hebrews was the Astarte of the Phoenicians, who were the great traders of Solomon's time. Astarte, who afterwards was the Aphrodite of the Greeks, was represented with horns like the half-moon. And there on the brow of the female figure are distinct horns. Perhaps these colossi were designed by some Phoenician official who managed the mines. "'Who can say?' "'Before we had finished examining "'these extraordinary relics of remote antiquity, "'Infidus came up, "'and having saluted the Silent Ones "'by lifting his spear, "'asked us if we intended "'entering the place of death at once, "'or if we would wait till after "'we had taken food at midday. "'If we were ready to go at once, "'Gagul had announced her willingness "'to guide us. "'As it was not more than eleven o'clock, "'we, driven to it by a burning curiosity, announced our intention of proceeding instantly. And I suggested that, in case we should be detained in the cave, we should take some food with us.
0: Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it.
1: and that lady herself assisted out of it. And meanwhile, Fulata, at my request, stored some biltong or dried game flesh together with a couple of gourds of water in a reed basket. Straight in front of us, at a distance of some fifty paces from the backs of the colossi, rose a sheer wall of rock, eighty feet or more in height, that gradually sloped up till it formed the base of the lofty snow-wreathed peak, which soared up into the air three thousand feet above us. As soon as she was clear of her hammock, Gagool cast one evil grin upon us, then, leaning on a stick, hobbled off toward the sheer face of the rock. We followed her till we came to a narrow portal solidly arched that looked like the opening of a gallery of a mine. Here Gagool was waiting for us, still with that evil grin upon her horrid face. Now, white men from the stars, she piped great warriors, Inkubu, Bagwan, and Makumazan the wise. Are ye ready? Behold, I am here to do the bidding of my lord the king, and to show ye the store of bright stones. We're ready, I said. Good, good. Make strong your hearts to bear what ye shall see. Comest thou too, Infidus, who didst betray thy master?' Infidus frowned as he answered. Nay, I come not. It is not for me to enter there. But thou, Gagul, curb thy tongue, and beware how thou dealest with my lords. At thy hands will I require them, and if a hair of them be hurt, Gagul, beest thou fifty times a witch, thou shalt die. Hearest thou? I hear, Infidus, I know thee. THOU DIDST EVER LOVE BIG WORDS. WHEN THOU wast a BABE, I REMEMBER THOU DIDST THREATEN THINE OWN MOTHER. THAT WAS BUT THE OTHER DAY. BUT FEAR NOT, FEAR NOT, I LIVE BUT TO DO THE BIDDING OF THE KING. I HAVE DONE THE BIDDING OF MANY KINGS IN FEDUCE, TILL IN THE END THEY DID MINE. I GO TO LOOK UPON THEIR FACES ONCE MORE, AND TWALA'S TOO. "'Come on, come on, here is the lamp.' And she drew a great gourd full of oil, and fitted with a rush wick from under her fur cloak. "'Art thou coming, Fulata?' asked Good, in his villainous kitchen kukuana, in which he had been improving himself under that young lady's tuition. "'I fear, my lord,' the girl answered timidly. "'Then give me the basket.' "'Nay, my lord, whither thou goest, there will I go also.' "'The deuce you will,' thought I to myself. "'That'll be rather awkward if we ever get out of this.' "'Without further ado, Gagool plunged into the passage, "'which was wide enough to admit of two walking abreast, "'and quite dark, we following her voice "'as she piped to us to come on in some fear and trembling, "'which was not allayed by the sound of a sudden rush of wings. "'Hello, what's that?' hallowed Good. "'Somebody hit me in the face.' "'Bats,' said I. "'On you go. "'When we had, so far as we could judge, "'gone some fifty paces, "'we perceived that the passage was growing faintly light. "'Another minute, and we stood in the most wonderful place "'that the eyes of living man ever lit on. "'Let the reader picture to himself "'the hall of the vastest cathedral he ever stood in, "'windowless indeed, but dimly lighted from above.' presumably by shafts connected with the outer air and driven in the roof, which arched away a hundred feet above our head. And he will get some idea of the size of the enormous cave in which we stood, with the difference that this cathedral, designed of nature, was loftier and wider than any ever built by man. But its stupendous size was the least of the wonders of the place, for running in rows adown its length were gigantic pillars of what looked like ice, in reality, huge stalactites. It is impossible for me to convey any idea of the overpowering beauty and grandeur of these pillars of white spar, some of which were not less than twenty feet in diameter at the base, and sprang up in lofty and yet delicate beauty, sheer to the distant roof. Others again were in process of formation, On the rock floor there was in these cases what looked, Sir Henry said, exactly like a broken column in an old Grecian temple. Whilst high above, depending from the roof, the point of a huge icicle could be dimly seen. And even as we gazed we could hear the process going on, for presently, with a tiny splash, a drop of water would fall from the far-off icicle onto the column below. On some columns, the drops only fill once in two or three minutes. And in these cases, it would form an interesting calculation to discover how long, at that rate of dripping, it would take to form a pillar, say, 80 feet high by 10 in diameter. That the process was, in at least one instance, incalculably slow. The following instance will suffice to show. Cut on one of these pillars, we discovered a rude likeness of a mummy by the head of which sat what appeared to be one of the Egyptian gods, doubtless the handiwork of some old world laborer in the mine. This work of art was executed at about the natural height of which an idle fellow, be he Phoenician workman or British cad, is in the habit of trying to immortalize himself at the expense of nature's masterpieces, namely, about five feet from the ground. Yet at the time that we saw it, which must have been nearly 3,000 years after the date of the execution of the drawing. The column was only eight feet high, and was still in the process of formation, which gives a rate of growth of a foot to a thousand years, or an inch and a fraction to a century. This we knew because, as we were standing by it, we heard a drop of water fall. Sometimes the stalactites took strange forms, presumably where the dropping of the water had not always been on the same spot. Thus, one huge mass, which must have weighed a hundred tons or so, was in the form of a pulpit, beautifully fretted over outside with what looked like lace. Others resembled strange beasts, and on the sides of the cave were fan-like ivory tracings, such as the frost leaves upon a pane. Out of the vast main aisle there opened here and there smaller caves, exactly, Sir Henry said, as chapels open out of great cathedrals. Some were large, but one or two, and this is a wonderful instance of how nature carries out her handiwork by the same unvarying laws, utterly irrespective of size, were tiny. One little nook, for instance, was no larger than an unusually big doll's house. "'and yet it might have been the model of the whole place, "'for the water dropped, the tiny icicles hung, "'and the spar columns were forming in just the same way. "'We had not, however, as much time to examine this beautiful place "'as thoroughly as we should have liked to do, "'for unfortunately Gagool seemed to be indifferent to stalactites "'and only anxious to get her business over. "'This annoyed me the more, "'as I was particularly anxious to discover, if possible.' by what system the light was admitted into the place, and whether it was by the hand of man or of nature that this was done, also if it had been used in any way in ancient times, as seemed probable. However, we consoled ourselves with the idea that we would examine it thoroughly on our return, and followed on after our uncanny guide. On she led us, straight to the top of the vast and silent cave, where we found another doorway, not arched as the first was, but square at the top, something like the doorways of Egyptian temples. "'Are ye prepared to enter the place of death?' asked Gagool, evidently with a view to making us feel uncomfortable. "'Lead on, Macduff,' said Good, solemnly, trying to look as though he was not at all alarmed. "'As indeed did we all except Fulata,' Who caught good by the arm for protection? This is getting rather ghastly," said Sir Henry, peeping into the dark doorway. "Come on, Quartermain, Signore's prioris, don't keep the old lady waiting." And he politely made way for me to lead the van, for which I inwardly did not bless him. Tap, tap went Old Gagool's stick down the passage, as she trotted along chuckling hideously, and still overcome by some unaccountable presentiment of evil, I hung back. "'Come on, get on, old fellow,' said Good, or we shall lose our fair guide. Thus adjured, I started down the passage, and after about twenty paces found myself in a gloomy apartment some forty feet long by thirty broad and thirty high, which in some past age had evidently been hollowed by hand labor.' out of the mountain. This apartment was not nearly so well lighted as the vast stalactite ante and at the first glance all I could make out was a massive stone table running its length, with a colossal white figure at its head, and life-sized white figures all around it. Next I made out a brown thing seated on the table in the center, and in another moment my eyes grew accustomed to the light, "'and I saw what all these things were, "'and I was tailing out of it "'as hard as my legs could carry me. "'I am not a nervous man, "'in a general way, "'and very little troubled with superstitions, "'of which I have lived to see the folly. "'But I am free to own "'that that sight quite upset me, "'and had it not been that Sir Henry "'caught me by the collar and held me, "'I do honestly believe "'that in another five minutes "'I should have been outside that stalactite cave.' "'and that the promise of all the diamonds in Kimberley "'would not have induced me to enter it again. "'But he held me tight, "'so I stopped, because I could not help myself. "'But next second his eyes got accustomed to the light, too, "'and he let go of me "'and began to mop the perspiration off his forehead. "'As for good, he swore feebly, "'and Fulata threw her arms around his neck and shrieked. "'Only Gagool!' chuckled loud and long. It was a ghastly sight. There at the end of the long stone table, holding in his skeleton fingers a great white spear, sat Death himself, shaped in the form of a colossal human skeleton, fifteen feet or more in height. High above his head he held the spear as though in the act to strike. One bony hand rested on the stone table before him in the position a man assumes on rising from his seat, whilst his frame was bent forward, so that the vertebrae of the neck and the grinning, gleaming skull projected towards us, and fixed its hollow eye-places upon us, the jaws a little opened, as though it were about to speak. "'Great heavens!' said I, faintly at last. "'What can it be?' "'And what are those things?' said Good." pointing to the white company round the table. "'And what on earth is that thing?' said Sir Henry, pointing to the brown creature seated on the table. he laughed Gagool. "'To those who enter the hall of the dead, evil comes! he hee! "'Come, Kubu, brave in battle, "'come and see him thou slewest!' and the old creature caught his coat in her skinny fingers and led him away towards the table. We followed. Presently she stopped and pointed at the brown object seated on the table. Sir Henry looked and started back with an exclamation. And no wonder, for there seated, quite naked, on the table, the head which Sir Henry's battle-axe had shorn from the body resting on its knees was the giant corpse of Twala, last king of the Cucuanas. Yes, there, the head perched upon the knees. It sat in all its ugliness, the vertebrae projecting a full inch above the level of the shrunken flesh of the neck, for all the world like a black double of Hamilton Teague. Over the whole surface of the corpse there was gathered a thin, glassy film which made its appearance yet more appalling, and for which we were, at the moment, quite unable to account, till we presently observed that from the roof of the chamber the water fell steadily, drip, drop, drip, onto the neck of the corpse, from whence it ran down over the entire surface and finally escaped into the rock through a tiny hole in the table. Then I guessed what it was. Twala's body was being transformed into a stalactite. A look at the white forms seated on the stone bench "'that ran around that ghastly board "'confirmed this view. "'They were human forms indeed, "'or rather, had been human forms. "'Now, they were stalactites. "'This was the way in which "'the Kukuwana people had from time immemorial "'preserved their royal dead. "'They petrified them. "'What the exact system was, "'if there was any, "'beyond placing them for a long period "'of years under the drip, "'I never discovered,' BUT HERE THEY SAT, ICED OVER AND PRESERVED FOREVER BY THE silicious FIELD. ANYTHING MORE AWE-INSPIRING THAN THE SPECTACLE OF THIS LONG LINE OF DEPARTED ROYALTIES, WRAPPED IN A SHROUD OF ICE-LIKE SPAR, THROUGH WHICH THE FEATURES COULD BE dimly MADE OUT. THERE WERE TWENTY-SEVEN OF THEM, THE LAST BEING IGNOSI'S FATHER, AND SEATED ROUND THAT INHOSPITABLE BOARD, WITH DEATH HIMSELF FOR A HOST, IT IS IMPOSSIBLE TO IMAGINE that the practice of thus preserving their kings must have been an ancient one is evident from the number which, allowing for an average reign of fifteen years, would, supposing that every king who reigned was placed here, an improbable thing, as some are sure to have perished in battle far from home, fix the date of its commencement at four and a quarter centuries back. But the colossal death who sits at the head of the board is far older than that, and, unless I am much mistaken, owes his origin to the same artist who designed the three colossi. He was hewn out of a single stalactite, and looked at as a work of art, was most admirably conceived and executed. Good, who understood anatomy, declared that so far as he could see, the anatomical design of the skeleton was perfect, down to the smallest bones. My own idea is that this terrific object Was a freak of fancy on the part of some old-world sculptor, and that its presence had suggested to the Kukuanas the idea of placing their royal dead under its awful presidency. Or perhaps it was placed there to frighten away any marauders who might have designs upon the treasure chamber beyond. I cannot say; all I can do is describe it as it is, and the reader must form his own conclusion. Such, at any rate, was the white death and such were the white dead. CHAPTER Seventeen: SOLOMON'S TREASURE CHAMBER While we had been engaged in getting over our fright, and in examining the grisly wonders of the place, Gagool had been differently occupied. Somehow or other, for she was marvelously active when she chose, she had scrambled on to the great table, and made her way to where our departed friend Twala was placed, under the drip, to see suggested good to see how he was pickling, or for some dark purpose of her own. Then she came hobbling back, stopping now and again to address a remark, the tenor of which I could not catch, to one or other of the shrouded forms, just as you or I might greet an old acquaintance. Having gone through this mysterious and horrible ceremony, she squatted herself down on the table immediately under the white death, and began... "'so far as I could make out, to offer up prayers to it. "'The spectacle of this wicked old creature "'pouring out supplications, evil ones no doubt, "'to the arch-enemy of mankind, "'was so uncanny that it caused us to hasten our inspection. "'Now, Gagool,' said I, in a low voice. "'Somehow one did not dare to speak above a whisper in that place. "'Lead us to our chamber.' "'The old creature promptly scrambled down off the table. "'My lords are not afraid,' she said, "'leering up into my face. "'Lead on.' "'Good, my lords.' "'And she hobbled round to the back of the great death. "'Here's the chamber. "'Let my lords light the lamp and enter.' "'And she placed the gourd full of oil upon the floor "'and leaned herself against the side of the cave. "'I took out a match,' "'of which we still had a few in the box, "'and lit the rush wick, "'and then looked for the doorway. "'But there was nothing before us "'but the solid rock. "'Gagool grinned. "'The way is here, my lords. "'Do not jest with us,' "'I said sternly. "'I jest not, my lords. "'See?' "'And she pointed at the rock. "'And as she did so, "'on holding up the lamp,' we perceived that a mass of stone was slowly rising from the floor and vanishing into the rock above, where doubtless there was a cavity prepared to receive it. The mass was of the width of a good-sized door, about ten feet high and not less than five feet thick. It must have weighed at least twenty or thirty tons and was clearly moved upon some simple balance principle, probably the same as that upon which the opening and shutting of an ordinary modern window is arranged." How the principle was set in motion, of course, none of us saw. Gagool was careful to avoid that, but I had little doubt that there was some very simple lever which was moved ever so little by pressure on a secret spot, thereby throwing additional weight onto the hidden counterbalances and causing the whole huge mass to be lifted from the ground. Very slowly and gently the great stone raised itself till at last it had vanished altogether, "'and a dark hole presented itself to us "'in the place which it had filled. "'Our excitement was so intense "'as we saw the way to Solomon's treasure-chamber "'at last thrown open, "'that I for one began to tremble and shake. "'Would it prove a hoax after all, I wondered? "'Or was old Da Silvestre right? "'And were there vast hordes of wealth "'stored in that dark place, "'hordes which would make us "'the richest men in the whole world?' "'Enter, white men from the stars,' said Gagul, advancing into the doorway. "'But first hear your servant, Gagoola the old. "'The bright stones that ye will see were dug out of the pit, "'over which the silent ones are set, and stored here. "'I know not by whom. "'But once has this place been entered, "'since the time that those who stored the stones departed in haste, "'leaving them behind.' THE REPORT OF THE TREASURE, WENT DOWN AMONG THE PEOPLE WHO LIVED IN THE COUNTRY FROM AGE TO AGE, BUT NONE KNEW WHERE THE CHAMBER WAS, NOR THE SECRET OF THE DOOR, BUT IT HAPPENED THAT A WHITE MAN REACHED THIS COUNTRY FROM OVER THE MOUNTAINS, PERCHANCE HE TOO CAME FROM THE STARS, AND WAS WELL RECEIVED OF THE KING OF THE DAY. HE IT IS WHO SITS YONDER, AND SHE POINTED TO THE FIFTH KING AT THE TABLE OF THE DEAD. AND IT CAME TO PASS THAT HE AND A WOMAN OF THE COUNTRY WHO WAS WITH HIM CAME TO THIS PLACE, AND THAT BY CHANCE THE WOMAN learnt THE SECRET OF THE DOOR. A THOUSAND YEARS MIGHT YE SEARCH, BUT YE SHOULD NEVER FIND IT. THEN THE WHITE MAN ENTERED WITH THE WOMAN, AND FILLED WITH STONES THE SKIN OF A SMALL GOAT, WHICH THE WOMAN HAD WITH HER TO HOLD FOOD and as he was going from the chamber, he took up one more stone, a large one, and held it in his hand. Here she paused. Well, I asked, breathless with interest as we all were, what happened to Dust Sylvester? The old hag started at the mention of the name. How knowest thou the dead man's name? she asked sharply, and then, without waiting for an answer, went on. "'None know what happened. "'But it came about that the white man was frightened, "'for he flung down the goat-skin with the stones, "'and fled out with only the one stone in his hand, "'and that the king took, "'and it is the stone that thou, Macumazan, "'didst take from Twala's brows.' "'Have none entered here since?' "'I asked, peering again down the dark passage. "'None, my lords. "'Only the secret of the door hath been kept.' "'and every king hath opened it, though he hath not entered. "'There is a saying, that those who enter there will die within a moon, "'even as the white man died in the cave upon the mountain, "'where ye found him, Macumazahn. (laughs) "'Ha, ha! Mine are true words. "'Our eyes met as she said it, and I turned sick and cold. "'How did the old hag know all these things? "'Enter, my lords!' "'If I speak truth, the goatskin skin with the stones "'will lie upon the floor. "'And if there is truth as to whether it is death to enter here, "'that will ye learn afterwards.' "'And she hobbled through the doorway, bearing the light with her. "'But I confess that once more I hesitated about following. "'Oh, confound it all!' said Good. "'Here goes. "'I'm not going to be frightened by that old devil.' and followed by Fulata, who, however, evidently did not at all like the job, for she was shivering with fear, he plunged into the passage after Gagool, an example which we quickly followed. A few yards down the passage, in the narrow way hewn out of the living rock, Gagool had paused and was waiting for us. See, my lords, she said, holding the light before her. Those who stored the treasure here fled in haste, and bethought them to guard against any who should find the secret of this door, but had not the time. And she pointed to the large square blocks of stone, which had, to the height of two courses, about two foot three, had been placed across the passage with a view to walling it up. Along the side of the passage were similar blocks ready for use, and most curious of all, a heap of mortar AND A COUPLE OF TROWELS, WHICH, SO FAR AS WE HAD TIME TO EXAMINE THEM, APPEARED TO BE OF SIMILAR SHAPE AND MAKE TO THOSE USED BY WORKMEN TO THIS DAY. HERE, Fulata, WHO HAD THROUGHOUT BEEN IN A STATE OF GREAT FEAR AND AGITATION, SAID THAT SHE FELT FAINT AND COULD GO NO FURTHER, BUT WOULD WAIT THERE. ACCORDINGLY, WE SET HER DOWN ON THE UNFINISHED WALL, PLACING THE BASKET OF PROVISIONS BY HER SIDE, AND LEFT HER TO RECOVER. Following the passage for about fifteen paces further, we suddenly came to an elaborately painted wooden door. It was standing wide open. Whoever was last there had either not had the time or had forgotten to shut it. Across the threshold lay a skin bag formed of goatskin that appeared to be full of pebbles. Hee-hee, white man! sniggered Gagool as the light from the lamp fell upon it. What did I tell ye? that the white man who came here fled in haste and dropped the woman's bag. Behold! Good stooped down and lifted it. It was heavy and jingled. "'By Jove, I believe it's full of diamonds,' he said in an awed whisper. And indeed, the idea of a small goatskin full of diamonds is enough to awe anybody. "'Here, old lady, give me the lamp.' "'and taking it from Gagool's hand, "'he stepped through the doorway "'and held it high above his head. "'We pressed in behind him, forgetful, "'for the moment, of the bag of diamonds, "'and found ourselves in Solomon's treasure chamber. "'At first, all that the somewhat faint light "'given by the lamp revealed "'was a room hewn out of the living rock, "'and apparently not more than ten feet square. "'Next there came into sight, "'stored one on the other as high as the roof.' a splendid collection of elephant tusks. How many of them there were, we did not know, for, of course, we could not see how far they went back. But there could not have been less than the ends of four or five hundred tusks of the first quality, visible to our eyes. There alone was enough ivory before us to make a man wealthy for life. Perhaps, I thought, it was from this very store that Solomon drew his material for his great throne of ivory, "'of which there was not the like made in any kingdom. "'On the opposite side of the chamber "'were about a score of wooden boxes, "'something like Martini Henry ammunition boxes, "'only rather larger and painted red. "'There are the diamonds,' cried I. "'Bring the light.' "'Sir Henry did so, holding it close to the top box, "'of which the lid, rendered rotten by time "'even in that dry place, "'appeared to have been smashed in, "'probably by Da Sylvester himself.' Pushing my hand through the hole in the lid, I drew it out full. Not of diamonds, but of gold pieces, of a shape that none of us had seen before, and with what looked like Hebrew characters stamped upon them. "'Ah!' I said, replacing the coin. "'We shan't go back empty-handed, anyhow. There must be a couple of thousand pieces in each box, and there are eighteen boxes. I suppose it was the money to pay the workmen and merchants.' "'Well!' in good. I think that is the lot. I don't see any diamonds unless the old Portuguese put them all into this bag. Let my lords look yonder, where it is darkest, if they would find the stones," said Gagoul, interpreting our looks. There my lords will find a nook and three stone chests in the nook, two sealed and one open. Before interpreting this to Sir Henry, who had the light, I could not resist "'asking how she knew of these things, "'if no one had entered the place since the white man generations ago. "'I'm a aunt, who watchest by night,' was the mocking answer. "'Ye who live in the stars, "'do ye not know that some have eyes that can see through rock?' "'Look over in that corner, Curtis,' I said, "'indicating the spot Gagool had pointed out. "'Ah, hello, you fellows,' he said, Here's a recess. Great heavens! Look here! We hurried up to where he was standing in a nook. Against the wall of this recess were placed three stone chests, each about two feet square. Two were fitted with stone lids. The lid of the third rested against the side of the chest which was open. Look! He repeated, hoarsely, holding the lamp over the open chest. We looked, and for a moment we could make nothing out. "'on account of the silvery sheen that dazzled us. "'When our eyes got used to it, "'we saw that the chest was three parts full of uncut diamonds, "'most of them of considerable size. "'Stooping, I picked some up. "'Yes, there was no mistake about it. "'There was the unmistakable soapy feel about them. "'I fairly gasped as I dropped them. "'We are the richest men in the whole world,' I said. "'Monte Cristo is a fool to us.' "'We shall flood the market with diamonds,' said Good. "'We've got to get them there first,' suggested Sir Henry. "'And we stood with pale faces and stared at each other, "'with the lantern in the middle and the glimmering gems below, "'as though we were conspirators about to commit a crime, "'instead of being, as we thought, "'the three most fortunate men on the earth. he went old Gagool behind us "'as she flitted about like a vampire bat.' "'There are the bright stones that ye love, white man, as many as ye will. "'Take them, run them through your fingers, eat them, He <laughs> he drink them!' "'There was something so ridiculous at that moment to my mind "'in the idea of eating and drinking diamonds "'that I began to laugh outrageously, "'an example which the others followed, without knowing why. "'There we stood and shrieked with laughter over the gems which were ours.' which had been found for us thousands of years ago by the patient delvers in the great hole yonder, and stored for us by Solomon's long-dead overseer, whose name, perchance, was written in the characters stamped on the faded wax that yet adhered to the lids of the chest. Solomon never got them, nor David, nor da Silvestre, nor anybody else. We had got them. There before us were millions of pounds worth of diamonds, and thousands of pounds worth of gold and ivory, only waiting to be taken away. Suddenly, the fit passed off, and we stopped laughing. Open the other chests, white men," croaked Gagool. "There are surely more therein. Take your fill, white lords." Thus adjured, we set to work to pull up the stone lids on the other two first, not without a feeling of sacrilege. "'breaking the seals that fastened them. "'Hurrah! "'They were full, too, full to the brim. "'At least the second one was. "'No wretched da Sylvester "'had been filling goatskins out of that. "'As for the third chest, "'it was only about a fourth full, "'but the stones were all picked ones. "'None less than twenty carats, "'some of them as large as pigeon eggs. "'Some of these biggest ones, however, "'we could see by holding them up to the light, "'were a little yellow, off coloured as they call it in Kimberley. What we did not see, however, was the look of fearful malevolence that old Gagool favored us with as she crept, crept, like a snake, out of the treasure chamber and down the passage toward the massive door of solid rock. Hark! Cry upon cry comes ringing up the vaulted path, and it's Fulata's voice. Oh, Bhagwan, help, help, the rock falls. Leave go, girl, let... Help, help, she has stabbed me. By now, we're running down the passage, and this is what the light from the lamp falls on. The door of rock is slowly coming down. It is not three feet from the floor. Near it struggle Vulada and Gagool. The red blood of the former runs to her knee, but still the brave girl holds the old witch. "'who fights like a wild cat. "'Ah, she is free. Pulata falls, "'and Gagool throws herself on the ground "'to twist herself like a snake "'through the crack of the closing stone. "'She is under. "'Ah, God, too late, too late. "'The stone nips her, "'and she yells in agony. "'Down, down it comes, "'all thirty tons of it, "'slowly pressing her old body "'against the rock below. "'Shriek upon shriek, "'as we've never heard, then a long, sickening crunch, "'and the door was shut, "'just as we, rushing down the passage, "'hurled ourselves against it. "'It was all done in four seconds. "'Then we turned to Fulata. "'The poor girl was stabbed in the body "'and could not, I saw, live long. "'Ah, Bagwan, I die!' "'gasped the beautiful creature.' She crept out, Gagool. I did not see her. I was faint, and the door began to fall. Then she came back and was looking up the path, and I saw her come in through the slowly falling door, and caught her and held her, and she stabbed me, and I'd die, Bhagwan. Poor girl! Good cried, and then, as he could do nothing else, he fell to kissing her. Bhagwan, she said, after a pause. Is Makumazan there? It grows so dark. I cannot see. Here I am, Fulada. Makumazan, be my tongue for a moment. I pray thee, for Bagwan cannot understand me, and before I go into the darkness, I would speak a word. Say on, Fulada. I will render it. "'Say to my Lord Bhagwan that I love him "'and that I am glad to die "'because I know that he cannot cumber his life "'with such as me. "'Say that at times I have felt "'as though there were a bird in my bosom "'which would one day fly hence and sing elsewhere. "'Even now, though I cannot lift my hand "'and my brain grows cold, "'I do not feel as though my heart were dying.' It is so full of love that could live a thousand years and yet be young. Say that if I live again, mayhap I shall see him in the stars, and that I will search them all. Say, nay, Makumazan, say no more. Say that I love. Oh, hold me closer, Bagwan. I cannot feel thine arms. Oh. "'She is dead,' said Good, rising in grief, the tears running down his honest face. "'You need not let that trouble you old fellow,' said Sir Henry. "'Eh?' said Good. "'What do you mean?' "'I mean that you will soon be in a position to join her.' "'Man, don't you see? "'We're buried alive.' until Sir Henry uttered these words I do not think the full horror of what had happened had come home to us preoccupied as we were with this sight of poor Fulata's end but now we understood the ponderous mass of rock had closed probably forever for the only brain which knew its secret was crushed to powder beneath it this was a door that none could hope to force with anything short of dynamite in large quantities and we were on the wrong side of it "'For a few minutes we stood horrified there "'over the corpse of Fulada. "'All the manhood seemed to have gone out of us. "'The first shock of this idea "'of the slow and miserable end that awaited us "'was overpowering. "'We saw it all now. "'That fiend Gagool had planned this snare for us from the first. "'It would have been just the jest "'that her evil mind would have rejoiced in "'in the idea of three white men "'whom, for some reason of her own, "'she had always hated.' "'slowly perishing of thirst and hunger "'in the company of the treasure they had coveted. "'I saw the point of that sneer of hers "'about eating and drinking the diamonds now. "'Perhaps somebody had tried to serve the poor old Dom "'in the same way when he abandoned the skin full of jewels. "'This will never do,' said Sir Henry hoarsely. "'The lamp will soon go out. "'Let us see if we can't find that spring that works on the rock.' "'We sprang forward with desperate energy "'and standing in a bloody ooze "'began to feel up and down the door "'and the sides of the passage. "'But no knob or spring "'could we discover. "'Depend on it,' I said. "'It does not work from the inside. "'If it did, "'Gagool would not have risked "'trying to crawl underneath the stone. "'It was the knowledge of this "'that made her try to escape "'at all hazards.' "'At all events,' "'said Sir Henry, with a hard little laugh. "'Retribution was swift. "'Hers was almost as awful an end as ours is likely to be. "'We can do nothing with the door. "'Let us go back to the treasure-room.' "'We turned and went, and as we did so, "'I perceived by the unfinished wall across the passage "'the basket of food which poor Fulata had carried. "'I took it up and brought it with me back "'to that accursed treasure-chamber that was to be our grave.' Then we went back and reverently bore in Fulata's corpse, laying it on the floor by the boxes of coin. Next we seated ourselves, leaning our backs against the three stone chests of priceless treasures. "'Let us divide the food,' said Sir Henry, so as to make it last as long as possible. Accordingly we did so. It would, we reckoned, make four infinitesimally small meals for each of us, enough to say—' "'to support life for a couple of days. "'Besides the biltong or dried game flesh, "'there were two gourds of water, "'each holding about a quart. "'Now,' said Sir Henry, "'let us eat and drink. "'For tomorrow we die.' "'We each ate a small portion of the biltong "'and drank a sip of water. "'We had, needless to say, but little appetite.' "'though we were sadly in need of food "'and felt better after swallowing it. "'Then we got up and made a systematic examination "'of the walls of our prison-house, "'in the faint hope of finding some means of exit, "'sounding them and the floor carefully. "'There was none. "'It was not probable that there should be one "'to a treasure-chamber. "'The lamp began to burn dim. "'The fat was nearly exhausted. "'Quarterman!' "'said Sir Henry. "'What is the time? "'Your watch goes.' "'I drew it out and looked at it. "'It was six o'clock. "'We had entered the cave at eleven. "'Infidus will miss us,' I suggested. "'If we do not return to-night, "'he will search for us in the morning, Curtis. "'He may search in vain. "'He does not know the secret of the door, "'not even where it is.' NO LIVING PERSON KNEW IT YESTERDAY EXCEPT Gagul. TODAY NO ONE KNOWS IT. EVEN IF HE FOUND THE DOOR, HE COULD NOT BREAK IT DOWN. ALL THE CUCUANO ARMY COULDN'T BREAK THROUGH FIVE FEET OF LIVING ROCK. MY FRIENDS, I SEE NOTHING FOR IT BUT TO BOW OURSELVES TO THE WILL OF THE ALMIGHTY. THE SEARCH FOR TREASURE HAS BROUGHT MANY TO A BAD END, AND WE SHALL GO TO SWELL THEIR NUMBER. "'The lamp grew dimmer yet. "'Presently it flared up "'and showed the whole scene in strong relief, "'the great mask of white tusks, "'the boxes full of gold, "'the corpse of poor Fulata stretched before them, "'the goatskin full of treasure, "'the dim glimmer of the diamonds, "'and the wild wan faces of us three white men seated there "'awaiting death by starvation. "'Suddenly it sank and expired.'